1: perfect white cotton t-shirt from quince Mm. but it was a little chilly out so i threw on my cashmere hoodie also from quince
0: Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay like they have
1: basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that i feel like keep me looking i'm gonna toot my own horn effortlessly chic get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quinc com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. My name is Kate Spencer. And mine is Dori Freer. And together we are not experts.
0: No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. We do. And
1: before we get started, just a friendly note, you can visit our website, forever35podcast.com. For links to everything we mentioned on the show, our Twitter is at forever35pod, Instagram at forever35podcast. And you can also join the Forever 35 Facebook group where the password is serums.
0: And just a reminder that you can still sign up for the Forever 35 newsletter, which is going out tomorrow. Very exciting Woot. at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. And we are also running classified ads in the newsletter. So if you want to advertise with us in the newsletter, shoot us an email at forever35podcast.gmail.com, which is also where you can email us with your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. You can call or text us at seven eight one five nine one zero three nine zero. Well,
1: look, before we get into it, can we just take a moment to pause and honor that today, the day of recording is Taylor Swift's re-release of Red, arguably her greatest album, though not my favorite. And it contains the 10 minute version of All Too Well, which is rocking me to my core today. Do you care? Dory, a comment. Do you care
0: about Taylor?
1: Like, does, is this meaningful for you at all?
0: Um I do care about Taylor. I've seen her in concert twice. Me too. Um do like I I appreciate it as like a cultural moment that I do that I feel like a lot of people are very kind of consumed by and like as someone who just wrote a book that revisited a lot of her past relationships like I understand the impulse. <laughs> <laughs> basically your taylor book and was, I are the same i was gonna say your book was your it
1: was your version of red
0: yeah it was your exactly. revenge dress um i full disclosure though i've not listened to it yet so i can't really weigh in but i plan to and yeah i mean i just i i just want taylor to like live her best life
1: you know, I think she is. I fucking am so into this today. It's so nice of a pop culture thing. I feel like the older I get, the less I'm like, like I don't care about Kylie Jenner being pregnant. You know, like right. I don't.
0: Sure, yes. There's not. Yes,
1: yes, yes. There's not a lot that really gets me fired up these days. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this is doing yep. it. I've got. She Swift. She gets you fired up. I love Taylor. I really. It's so. It's so funny. I posted about how I interviewed her like nine years ago and. Oh, um, someone replied and was like, I'm a listener of the podcast and I've always wondered what you and Dory think about Taylor Swift. <laughs> so really? really cute. Yeah. My answer is I love Taylor Swift. I love her music. I like funny. that she has evolved as a person.
0: Yes. I definitely went through a phase where I was sort of like eye rolly about her because her whole like your cheer captain, I'm on the bleachers vibe kind of like annoyed me because I was like, you are a very conventionally attractive Mm -hmm. white woman, very rich, talented white woman who like, I guess you had a hard time in high school, but like ultimately like you are like, you're not really the victim here. But then I kind of like reframed that a little bit because I feel like we've been kind of reconsidering the way that young women have been, portrayed in the media, especially with all this like Britney Spears stuff happening. And so I have developed some more empathy for Taylor as someone who like essentially grew up in the public eye. I mean, she's been famous since she was like 16. So I now kind of see that as like, she's kind of revisiting, like she didn't, she didn't have like a full, on high school career because she was like already kind of famous. And so dating Joe Jonas. Yeah. So I think, I think some of that is like a longing for a normalcy that she never had. Mm, I like this analysis story. I mean, I don't know. uh, I could be totally off base here. All that to say is like, I think I was a little harsh on her for a little while Same. and i and i have now kind of come around um to being a little bit to be more like empathic
1: about i have to say the her. the 10 minute version of all too well is like a master class in like just coming out for your ex in the most pointed way possible and i i'm freaking here for it oh
0: and the other thing i will say is you know even even when i thought she was like somewhat problematic i loved her i still loved her music especially yeah. her earlier music
1: oh interesting see i really 1989 is one is that my fa- that's my favorite taylor album
0: oh interesting i mean i like 1989 but like i mean give me a speak now i'm like i'm there <laughs> okay i will <laughs> i
1: will give you a speak now We're hanging out in person tonight. So maybe when you arrive at my home, I'll just gently have that playing in the background.
0: Oh, that would be amazing. I know. (sighs) Well, enough about Tay Tay. Mm. Okay. You have been doing some like real adult things lately.
1: Oh, I've done the hard, I've done the hardest thing. Okay. I'm going to back up. So, as much as we love a serum on this show, I think we've ultimately kind of decided that the the the, the grittier side of self-care is really what makes the difference in one's life. Mm. I think not that I not that I didn't enjoy slathering myself with my Sunday Riley vitamin C serum this morning, but you know what I'm saying, Dory. And I do i am a very uh the way i handle my anxiety is by avoiding things um mm. which is not great and one thing i have avoided but is not f- uncommon no so, i like, think it's actually very normal yeah. yeah um and i will say that that often has to do with my health i get like yearly mm. mammograms and i go to the doctor but i am i'm very uh Avoidant in considering the fact that genetically I am at high risk for pancreatic cancer because that's what my mom had pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And that's a gnarly cancer. If you're not familiar with it, it's det- always detected, um, almost always too late. You know, my mom was diagnosed with stage four immediately and died nine months later. So it's not, it's not, not, no cancer is quote good. Um, but it but has it, a
0: very low survival rate.
1: Yes. A very, very low. Yes. And, um, even you know it's like five percent make it one year. It's not high, so no. I don't want to deal with that. Let me be very frank. This is the deepest anxiety fear I have is is having also because I witnessed what my mom went through and it was incredibly painful and scary, yeah. and I just don't want to deal with any of it. So no, so I have kind of avoided that. That is my reality. But TikTok, the clock's a ticking on mm. life, and. I have an acquaintance whose spouse is a doctor at Cedar Sinai in their pancreatic cancer screening and early detection program which is one amazing that that even exists and is totally local to me like what a gift. And so this person encouraged me to sign up and I had talked to some other people with parents who died of pancreatic cancer and they've signed up and so I have sent in my info to try to make an appointment. To do, to qualify for a yearly screening for pancreatic cancer at this uh, center here in Los Angeles. Um, I will link to it if anyone's curious about their. Do you uh, have
0: to be local to Los Angeles to participate?
1: I believe I don't. I believe they have screening centers throughout kind of the local area, but I was c- trying to look into this. I don't know a lot about the program, but I do think you do need to be local. But I will try to do a little more research for my fellow PC peeps out there. Um because, and I don't know what other kind of programs like this exist across the country. Although there are some hospitals that are really well known for their pancreatic cancer research, like MD Anderson and Johns Hopkins. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is like, this is the ultimate self care for me. It's probably the most important thing I've ever done for my self care and my health, but it also Mm -hmm. gives me massive agita. (laughs) Like, yeah, Ooh, baby. And I should do a lot of genetic testing, you know? Um, that I haven't done yet. I haven't done BRCA. I got to do, I got to get into some of this stuff. So I don't know. I'm kind of proud of myself, honestly, though, Dory, I am
0: proud of you. I know how much health anxiety you have. So much. And it's, you know, it's
1: exasperated by the, or exacerbated by the fact that oftentimes your health diagnoses, maybe more than often, it's completely random. You know, like, we have no control over this. And I, that's part of what I witnessed with my mom, who was a very healthy, you know, 56 year old with no family history. Both her parents were still alive. And then, like, boom, the next day she was dying of cancer. So, sorry, this is a bit of a heavy um, episode. But I just, I just think health is like this kind of shit. We have no, ultimately, have no control over it. But if we can kind of have some information, I do think it's really helpful. So, yeah. So that I'm is my you. accomplishment of the week. Thank you. I'm proud of me too. But what I would really love to hear about is how you are continuing to read romance because that, knowing that is like such a solve for me that you are deep into romance right now.
0: Look, as I said on a previous episode, I. You know, I had dabbled in romance before, especially when like books that you had highly recommended or authors that we had had on the pod. And then, as you know, I read all of the Bridgerton books, and like all of them, like yeah. the prequels, like like <laughs> every single one. You're of them. such
1: a voracious reader. I'm so un- I'm so impressed by how many books you are able to read because that's a like Bridgerton is a pretty hefty series, and you've conquered that this year.
0: It is. I mean, I sometimes wonder how much I actually absorb. That's okay. Like am I just skimming? I don't know. That's honestly that is how I read and I just
1: it is what it is, you know.
0: But I, yeah, I mean, I've always been this way. Like even as a kid, I I like I read a ton and I was a fast reader and mm. it's just I used to like keep books on my bed and I was just like that was just what I did. Both so my kids are like that. It's amazing. Yeah, so that I mean, I feel like They will, they will, they will be like me when they grow up. They will read all of Bridgerton in like three weeks. That's my dream. Um, So yeah. So, well, I got back into it as a way to try and deal with my night terrors because I had read some like a couple of like pretty gnarly books that I didn't quite realize going in, like how much they would affect me. Um, one in particular and, they were giving me night terrors Yeah, and I was like, I, you know, I want to read before bed and I want to read something like I can't read like a slow book before bed. (laughs) I mean, I guess I could if I wanted to just like put myself to sleep, but like, I actually, I really enjoy reading before bed. And I, and you know, so I wanted to read something that was kind of fast paced, but not scary and so I was like, romance, mm-hmm. <laughs> that'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So I read a couple of the Christina Lauren books and you know, I'd read Red, White and Royal Blue. That was one of the that was one of the books that I had read, you know, a while ago. And so I was intrigued by Casey McQuiston's latest book, One Last Stop. And I have to admit, it took me a little while to get into it.
1: I haven't read it yet. I'm I'm kind of like saving that one. But go yeah, on I mean, I cuz you I don't are now miss- in it.
0: I am I'm now fully in it. Um it's very it's like so Gen Z that I was like wow, this is like this is a lot. Um and I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but I was like I'm going to keep reading. And then about halfway through, I was like okay, like now I'm I'm in. I'm in. And then last night I woke up at like, I don't know, it was like two in the morning. I just couldn't sleep. And I was like, okay, I'm going to read because that's what I do when I can't sleep. And I was, I got to like the most like emotional part of the book. It's a very like moving book in addition to being sexy. And I'm lying in bed in the dark because I'm reading on my Kindle in dark mode. So it's like extra dark. <laughs> and I just have like tears running down my face. <laughs> and I'm like, wiping my eyes and like sniffling and reading because it was very emotional. Oh, so my just, God. Just picture that. <laughs> How did you settle down after that? Did you just finish the stay up reading the whole book? Or were you it able to hard. fall back asleep? I tried falling back asleep. Couldn't sleep Picked the book up again. And then I was like, I was, I'm, I'm very close to being done. And I was like, I am so tired that like, I have to just put this down and just try to sleep again. And I did fall asleep for another couple hours, I think. Um, but yeah. Ooh. So anyone who's read this book, you know what I'm talking about. Have you gone and finished it yet today? Are you like saving it for later today? I I haven't yet. I, I think I will just finish it today because I'm, I'm really close to the end. So, yeah, Kate, I thought you would really appreciate this little anecdote.
1: I love it. Well, also, it does make me worried though, are the romance books also keeping you up, or is it just different? You just couldn't sleep. It's not that like you're
0: having yeah, it's, it's a not different the books. okay it's yeah, it's a different situation. I don't mind like if I like stay up late because I'm reading, that doesn't happen so often. like what happened last night is I and falling asleep in the, at the beginning of the night has almost never been my problem. Like I, I almost mm. never have trouble falling asleep. Like I fall, I often fall asleep whilst reading. Mm. And like it's Matt so comes in, and I'm just lying there with like the Kindle like
2: on my face,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which is almost what happened last night. Like I, I got really tired, and I just put the Kindle down, and I fell asleep. But then when I, it's when I wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah. That I often have trouble falling back asleep. Yep. Um, And so the issue with the mysteries uh, was that I was able to fall asleep fine, but I was having night terrors like right after I fell asleep, which is not mm. great.
1: That sounds miserable.
0: So... I don't know what to do about that because I still want to read mysteries. Maybe I just read like in the morning. Maybe I have morning books and nighttime books. Seriously, that might have be what you have
1: to do. I mean, it's because the it's not like you could read them on the weekend and just contain your night terrors to the weekend. Right. Like, it's you Mm -mm. don't. That's not something you want to be experiencing, period. So
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: Daytime. It seems like daytime reading might be a good way to go.
0: Well, especially like early morning reading, because Mm. I do like to read in bed before I get up. Mm
1: -hmm. And I wonder
0: if that, like reading so early in the morning and then just like going about my whole day and then capping off the day with like a romance or just something like lighter will just like put me into sleepy mode. Mm.
1: I like this for you, Dory. You're just going to be reading all day. (laughs) She's <laughs> just gonna be reading all
0: day like, I mean. did you
1: did you do any work or get like do anything around the house
0: no i just read all yeah. day i have my morning book my afternoon book my, my nighttime, nighttime book, book. <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of books I do just want to mention one other thing, which is that I reached out to Book Soup, which is the local bookstore here in Los Angeles that I did all of my like book signing stuff with when mm-hmm. Thanks for Waiting came out. And they have agreed to do like a special holiday book signing thing with me. And so you can order an inscribed copy of Thanks for Waiting from Book Soup for the holidays. I will write whatever you want. You just put it in the little notes section. I mean, the things people asked me to write were very sweet, I have to say. <laughs> um, someone had me write, like, from the perspective of Dory's Hotel. <laughs> there was just, like, a lot. It was really, really nice. Anyway, so order those by December 3rd for guaranteed holiday delivery. I unfortunately did not get my act together in time for Hanukkah. This was on Hanukkah's me. is so early this Hanukkah's year, though. also so early, which is, like, not... On me. That is on the Jewish calendar. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So but they will be available in time for Christmas or a late Hanukkah gift if you order by December 3rd. So maybe you read the book and you want to give it to a friend for the holidays or a loved one, or maybe you didn't get around to ordering the book yet, which you know is fine. Not gonna judge you. We'll let let it slide for now. But you can now you can order. this is pretty much like your last chance to order a signed hardcover copy of the book. And again, I will inscribe it however you wish. So, oh, okay. And we will link. And there's a special that a link, challenge. <laughs> it is a challenge. Um, there's a special link for the signed copies that I will put in the show notes and on the website. And it's also if you go to my Instagram, it's uh, linked in my bio.
1: That's very generous of you Dory, to do. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Get to signing. <laughs> <sighs>
0: well, well, should we talk about our guest for today?
1: Okay, so this let's just set this up first. This guest has probably been on our dream guest list since we began the podcast. Wouldn't you say? They've been like a years long.
0: For a very long time. I think mean, I think we've I think we've both excuse me, we've both followed her on Instagram for a long time and have always been fans of her work. It was also nice to read her book and be able to talk to her about her book because her book is really, really great.
1: Okay, let's spill the beans. Our guest is Aja Barber. Yeah. Now, look, if you are not like us and already fangirling over Aja, she is a writer and consultant. She lives in London. And you may have seen her Instagram video, Why Performative Allyship is Triggering, which called out brands and influencers for monetizing the Black Lives Matter movement, and it has acquired over 1 million views. Um, She's an incredibly influential voice, especially in fashion and sustainability, racial justice, and she has an incredible new book. It's called Consumed, The Need for Collective Change, Colonialism, Climate Change, and Consumerism. Did I get that right? You sure did. And she is, I mean, I know for both of us, as we kind of grapple with our place as consumers within capitalism, within, uh, the environment, she's been an incredible, um, person to, to really learn from. Um, and we're so excited to have her on the show. And dare we say to come right after a week in which we talked about gifts and Sephora. And buying yeah. things we we had a real chuckle over how that all worked out, yep, <laughs> but I do think we'll talk about this more at the end of our episode that she's both talking to her, I think inspired us both to really kind of reevaluate where where we are in terms of all those things, so for sure anyway, without all further right. ado, we'll take a break, and we'll be back with Aja. All
0: right. We'll be right back.
1: if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e.com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35.
0: Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. Well, we are so excited for our guest today, who is Aja Barber.
2: Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate um, you making the time. Yeah, of course. I believe we did get a DM,
1: Dory, on Instagram that was like, I have a great guest recommendation. And oh. we were like, we trust us. We know. And oh, we're yeah, we've on it. Yeah, you've, been, yes. you've
0: definitely been requested like yes. several times. And in fact, we were like we're not sure if we can get her. I like. know.
1: <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like you wrote a book so we could weasel yeah, our way sure. in. Yeah. So
2: thank you. Uh, I have to say I have like the best community on Instagram. Like, let's be honest, social media can sometimes be like a dumpster fire going downstream. But the only thing that really keeps me like tethered to social media is the fact that I love my community so hard and like, I really feel like people really vouch for me. And yes, that means a lot. Like if I, if everything went away tomorrow, I would still be like, but damn, I built a good community.
0: (laughs) You really did. Like your comment sections
2: are generally amazing, which is unusual. Most people say the the same. Yeah. I I really moderate comments. Um, I, want to make my my space inclusive and safe but also helpful um yeah. and sometimes you just like go to a big account page and it just looks like a trash fire in their comments and I'm just like ha- I, I wouldn't want all of that going on under a picture of my face you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. That, and, and so I've always said look I'm going to be vigilant in these comments because I want the space to be safe but helpful and um I find once you have, like, those boundaries, people that are, you know, really into your community will also moderate as well. If somebody says something mm. that's mm. not cool, they'll be like, hey, so so that's not cool. Aja's boundaries are this, you know, you're insulting people, blah, blah, blah. So I really feel like the people who've been following my work for a while and really get me, they make the space what it is because I can't see everything but I just appreciate, I always feel like people are like looking out for each other and looking out for me. And that's really cool.
0: That's really cool. But like you said, I mean, that is a huge investment of your own time and energy to make sure that this community stays intentional and respectful of you. Um, So, you know, I, I acknowledge that, that, that is, that
2: is a big commitment on your end. If you're going to be on the internet, Make it count. Like we we only got 24 hours in the day. And, you know, people say we have as many as Beyonce. I would argue probably not, but (laughs) you know, make, make it count. And so I, I want people to feel like they can come to the space and get something that is not just helpful, but maybe a little bit nourishing. And so in order Mm -hmm. to do that, you know, we, we gotta make sure that we keep the space cool. Yeah. Um, well we do, we usually start our conversations
0: with our guests by asking them about a self-care practice that they have, something that, you know, they do usually pretty regularly that kind of brings them
2: sense of peace or joy. And
0: is there um, anything in your life that fits that
2: description? I, I read every single day and I realize I get really sad when I don't read. And when I say read, I mean, things that have nothing to do with what I write and talk about, just fiction or whatever. But that's how I keep my brain really healthy is to make sure that I leave a little bit of time in every day to just read something, hopefully something not related to like being on the internet. I I have never made the switch from paper books to e-readers because I feel like I stare at too many screens. Mm. And so um reading every day, but also talking and long, like good phone conversations with like family mm. and friends, because I live in the UK, but the majority of my family is in the US. And so like, my sisters are used to having a shower phone call with me where like, because washing my hair is quite a, um, it's quite an investment to wash this fro, And so whenever I'm doing hair washing day, I just sort of put my sisters on like loudspeaker on the shower ledge, and then we just all chat. And so that's really nice as well. I love
1: that. that. Reminds me, my daughters do that, but in person right now. But I, I That's love that. Awesome. That, I love it, that
2: they're in person though. It,
1: it is. I mean, they they will go into the bathroom together and just converse. But I, yeah, I love the the maintaining of that kind of sisterly bond.
2: Oh, in, you it, have to. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just like I, you get so much more out of a phone chat today. I've talked to um, both my sisters via text, and then two of my close friends in the UK, and like when we talk, we like, we're talking never less than an hour. Like my friend's partner is always like, oh, I'll just call and see you in an hour.
0: (laughs) You know, I don't, I don't think we've ever, Kate, correct me if I'm wrong, but Mm -hmm. I feel like no one else we've ever had on the show has mentioned phone calls as a form of self-care. We've had letter writing. Yes. But Um, to, to me, that feels very, and I don't,
1: I don't want to presume to know your age, but I'm wondering if you're retro. also your fellow generation Xer because that is how we, you know, that is how so such a formative part of my youth was like those yeah, long same. phone talks with friends.
2: I'm an old millennial. I'm okay, at like okay. the edge of like we'll, being We'll a scoop millennial. you in. We'll scoop yeah. you in. <laughs> my sister, we'll my sister is a Gen Xer. But yeah. yeah, like I grew up with like having to memorize your friend's phone numbers. Once you got it, you knew that like they were in and we like in my family, we definitely still reference like our old phone number because it was such a good phone number and easy to remember. We're like, ah, the, the the first phone number, you know? But yeah, Uh no, I think it is, it does speak to my age that I do like talking on the phone with people. I love.
0: Oh, I love that. And you're so right that it, it's a form of connection that for the most part, like we just don't have in this kind of online mediated world. Um, yeah. And I definitely went through a phase where I was like, I'm not talking on the phone. And now I'm like, oh yeah, like the phone, It there is something really powerful. Maybe it's because I'm a podcaster now, but like there is something really powerful about just hearing someone's voice. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so I I really love
2: that. Basically, if I have a spare hour, I have like a list of people. And it's like, who have I not talked to? Because uh, promoting a book like is intense. And I didn't realize how intense it was until I got here. (laughs) Surprise. It's like our world. We're always like, oh, that'll be easy. And then you have to do it. You're like, oh, it's actually not that easy. Yeah. So I've been pretty like, my schedule's been pretty packed since like, I started writing the book. So whenever I have like a spare hour, I basically have a list of people that I go to. And it's like, have I spoke to this person in a while? Have mm. I spoke to that person in a while? Ooh, oh, now I'm going to make that list. Yeah. That's so nice. It's important. It just reminds me to is. check up. And like, honestly, if you're listening to this and you have a grandmother and she's mm-hmm. not someone who is hard to get along with, give your grandmother a call. She'll appreciate it.
1: Yeah. I wish (sighs) I had done that more. I know. My mom would always try to get me to do it and I'd be like, I don't want to. And now it's, you know, of course that is good. I have one
2: remaining grandmother left and I do try and It's hard because I have to get like a phone card to call her because I'm kind of a technology, like (laughs) I'm kind of an old person when it comes to technology, but (laughs) I do, I make the effort because I've only got one left. Yeah. Yeah. Can I,
1: may I ask you a quick question? Because I saw in an interview that you also write fiction and want to write fiction more professionally. I would love to just know what you enjoy reading and what you love writing as a fiction writer.
2: So I have always written fiction, but kept it. Headed. Um, because mm. it's like, you're not a real writer, imposter syndrome, women, that's how we are. Men are like, I've never done it, but I'll do it. easy. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be awesome at it. But that's like a, you know, I'm like, oh, I can never share this with anyone. Um, I always thought that if I wrote a book, it would be a fictional book. And then this platform grew and turned into what it is. So it made sense that this would be my first book. Like, but I always wanted to write fiction. I find th- that's what I enjoy. That's how I unwind. And mm. I like fiction about um, complicated relationships, friendships, that sort of stuff. I find that that sort of stuff fascinating. I find friendship between women fascinating. I find relationships interesting. Um, the last book I read was actually like, it was fiction's quite dirty but i really enjoyed it it's called insatiable by daisy buchanan it's 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 pretty filthy um that's great but... <laughs> that's my favorite genre is some good sex um, romance and, and it's it is it is a very like it's definitely like erotica but it also talks about the power of like relationships in this weird way so it was actually really like perfect blend of um interesting topics so yeah, I read I read a bunch of fiction. And normally, when I'm not writing a book, I tend to read about 100 to 150 books a year. Wow. Wow. But when you're writing a book, it's really hard to do that. Oof, yeah. And promoting a book. <laughs> yeah. So one of my one of my friends said, I, I hadn't seen him in a few months. And he was like, yeah, I, I didn't even know that he was paying attention. But I, I'm about to mitigate from one website that tracks your books to another that's not owned by the evil empire um but on that one website that i've been on since they were beta testing like i've good reads basically i i was like one of the earlier adopters of that i didn't know this but like a friend was like oh yeah i always read what you're reading and i noticed this year you're not reading and i'm like yeah because it's really hard to do that while writing a book
0: Oh wow, <laughs> that's like a weird form of pressure almost.
2: Well, I you didn't know? know that he was paying attention. That's right. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> like, like you're
1: just using it to track, and then all of yeah. a sudden, yeah, so yeah, someone
2: sees. It turns out a lot of people are paying attention. I'm like, oh, oh snap! So yeah, yeah, I um, I I like I like the reading challenges because it does sort of force me to be like, oh. I want to hit my 100 books in a year. So totally. don't worry, we'll be hitting that this year. We'll be lucky if we get to 50. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs>
0: well, let's talk about your new book, Consumed, The Need for Collective Change, Colonialism, Climate Change, and Consumerism, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, I thought it, it just, it brought together so many of these themes that I've been thinking about that have been kind of in in the ether, and you just sort of synthesize them so wonderfully. And I also loved that half of your book is really devoted to how we can take action. Um, because I do feel like a lot of times, books like this just kind of like put Put the problems all out there and then it's like, okay, the end.
2: <laughs> 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 it's like, scary facts, scary facts. Yeah. Yeah. Scary facts. Okay, yeah. I'm going to walk away and leave you right. holding the scary That's facts. Like the, Enjoy. Wait, hold, yeah, hold on. <laughs> um,
0: so I, I really appreciated that you had some very concrete steps uh, for people to take action. Um, but I would love to just start with, Social media, which mm-hmm. we touched on at the beginning, Um, but you really, you really do a good job showing how social media helps kind of create demand for fast fashion. And I was wondering if for the benefit of our listeners who might not have had a chance to read your book yet, if you could kind of go into that a little bit in terms of like the specific ways that social media um and fast fashion like really intersect.
2: So If you haven't had the chance to like read the book, I don't go into any studies. And I think these studies are coming. But one of the benefits of being an older millennial on social media is that I'm a lot older than a lot of people who have platforms, which I'm okay with. I like being Instagram grandmom. As a matter of fact, I got locked out of my account once. And when I came back, someone was like, mom's home. And that made me laugh quite a bit. Um, but basically, in the 20 years, in like the last 20 years, the amount of clothing that we have bought has sped up dramatically. And I get a lot of students that reach out to me. And so I'm basically telling every person do a study on this. The correlation between the popularity of social media is clear as a bell there. Like, I read a New York Times profile about what Gen Z Xers, Gen-, Gen Z shoppers want. And, uh, what was pulled out of the interview is that the majority of, you know, Gen Z shoppers feel like they don't want to be seen wearing the same thing twice on social media. That's so fascinating. Um, or if it's been seen on social media, it's considered old. Like, what? And coming from a place where I grew up, where we simply didn't have fast fashion at all. I I think that seeing this come into my lifetime and seeing how social media works and how the marketing works, it's a little too clear to me how much of a connection there is. Like, I feel like if social media went away tomorrow, the entire system of fast fashion would struggle to stay afloat. And there are certain brands like Shein, for instance, where (sighs) their popularity is completely contingent on social media, you know, the TikTok whole videos, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then there's just the more pernicious stuff, like you might be browsing on a website, and you look at like a dress that you think is cool. And then that dress follows you around the internet. Yes. I mean, but if we really want to like just Instagram replaced the heart button with a shopping button. What does that tell you? Like it went from being a photo sharing site to one that is very much focused on commerce. And commerce of clothing seems to be what sells the best. And so the link between social media and us feeling like we need to buy 68 items of clothing a year, which is what the average fast fashion consumer does buy. Wow it's there. I just haven't seen enough significant studies about it, but I'm sure that's coming in a year or two. I
1: I love that just the note you make about Instagram kind of changing and, and adding so many elements of shopping, even as I'm not, you know, we have small social media platforms, but if I wear something, someone will be like link to the glasses that you have. I mean, this, the dialogue is now really about sharing fashion and telling people where to get stuff even if you are yeah. not a if you're just like a, you know, 42-year-old gal yeah. in California. Uh, yeah. And it's interesting that it's kind of shaped the way our brains are communicating and what we're asking of each other as well.
2: And the thing I get as well is people will stumble upon my platform and the first question they'll ask me is, "Now where do I shop?" And I'm like, you're not taking in what I'm saying, because if you were, that wouldn't be the first question you were asking. Like, you can't replace a system of overconsumption and consumerism to the extreme with ethical overconsumption and consumerism. That's not going to get us out of this mess. But I get a lot of people that show up and the speed at which social media wants, you know, encourages us to what things delivered is really troubling, but also they're not even taking the time to like, feel out what I'm saying. They're just like, just tell me where I can get my next dopamine hit and not feel bad about it. And I'm like, mm. that's the problem.
0: Yeah. So when you're talking about this problem, I mean, you really highlight that the problem is demand, right? Like, we wouldn't have the issues of so much, so you know, so much uh, stuff being donated and ending up in the market in Ghana um, mm-hmm. if people weren't buying so much stuff. Um, and so, but it's also
2: artificial demand created mm-hmm. by the fast fashion industry. We always get this chicken and egg conundrum where mm-hmm. it's like we need to regulate the brands, and then the brands are like we're just responding to consumer demand, which we created. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's exactly like the fossil fuel industry. That's that is which is funny, because the fast fashion industry is tied to the fossil fuel industry. 60% of fabrics which exist on this planet are polyfibers. And the average person still does not understand that polyfibers are plastic. They are Mm. fossil fuel, they come from the ground, you could say that they're natural if you're a Great A bullshitter. But in actuality, it is a product that is going to be on this planet for far longer than we are. And there's a lot of it. And so you can tie all of these issues to like, you know, the climate emergency problem that we're seeing today. And greenwashing was actually developed by the fossil fuel industry, uh, BP. But we've seen it spill into the fashion industry. And one of the things that, you know, you hear the fossil fuel industry say recently, I was had the displeasure of being in an auditorium with the CEO of Shell. Um, We protested him and walked out in the middle of his speech. But he wanted to do this little cheeky speech where he was like, you're not going to like it, but the world needs us. You need us. And let me tell you why that makes me so livid. The demand for fossil fuel has been created by the fossil fuel companies disrupting America's democracy in order to create a demand. You know, you see this when um, there's a New York Times article, which I've saved in on the top of my profile on Instagram called like oil and lobbyists. And it talks mm-hmm. about how the fossil fuel industry will go into cities that are proposing um, uh, new public transportation uh and they will completely um turn people against the idea of public transportation. It happened in Nashville, Tennessee. There was a proposal of a light rail and 60% of the city was in favor of it. And the fossil fuel industry, they got people going door to door telling people that your crime is going to go up, your taxes are going to go up. This is a bad thing for you. And before you know it, the entire city voted against it. So when they say that, We need them. Do not forget that they created that demand and they did it with money and buying our democracy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, Kate and I both live in Los Angeles and the automobile industry actually like got the subway system shut down in the 1950s. (laughs) Like we had a subway system here in Los Angeles and the fossil fuel slash automobile industry was like, no,
2: what we need are freeways for our cars. <laughs> so so whenever an industry that is polluting the world says that like we need them, go back in time and look at how that need was created. Because I guarantee you, in most cases, you're going to find that maybe we could have done something different. I got to tell you, I love living in a city where there's good public transportation. That was one of the main incentives for me to like move back to the UK is that mm. I love public transport. It's not perfect, it could be better, but you know what? It's better than driving my car to work every day in DC and sometimes sitting in up to two hours worth of traffic.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um, Can, oh, go ahead, Kate. I was going to ask if we could talk a little bit about greenwashing uh mm-hmm. especially for people who are new to the term because i know i have fallen like i, I fall for it all the time so happen ha- we all yeah okay that makes me feel <laughs> better and i i feel like you do such a lovely job of uh making this a very uh human experience and also talking about how you you've also fallen you know the- a victim, but you've fallen for these kind of things. Can you explain kind of what it is and, and how to really look out for it, especially when trying to parse brands that we want to actually consume from?
2: So greenwashing is making environmental claims about your business and the impact of your business that is simply untrue. That's really it. It's lying. Um, and I would argue that A great example of greenwashing is when a big fast fashion brand, one that doesn't have a great track record of anything environmentally, rolls out a sustainable line. And they put so much PR around this sustainable line that they're rolling out. But if you actually go to their website, the sustainable line, the sustainability claims seem dubious. They'll say like sustainable materials. What does that actually mean? What does it mean? you know, are, you know, though they'll, they'll, I break down greenwashing in my book and I mm-hmm. give some great examples, which I pulled directly from like popular websites and places where we've all shopped in the past. But um, if your sustainable line counts for 0.1% of the actual products that you're putting out there, then there's nothing sustainable about what you're doing. It's just PR. Like, why not change your entire business model and make it so that Every product is sustainable. Yeah. Why not do that? Because it's hard and it's expensive and you won't make billions of dollars of profits every year and you have investors that you have to keep happy. So you have to keep doing the same thing, but make it seem like you're not doing the same thing, but you're doing the exact same thing as before. You've just added in a sprinkle of organic cotton. Like sustainability <laughs> in a brand, and I always make this analogy. It has to be in the core of your brand. Like, Okay. You're making a cake, right? And, like, say you tried to make a cake and you're not a vegan. So you make it with an egg, except you forget to put the egg in your cake. And then you put the cake in the oven. It comes out and doesn't look anything like a cake. And then you go, oh, darn. So you crack the egg and put it on top. That's what brands are doing (laughs) with, like, sustainability. They're basically, they have this entire recipe that they've done. And then they just want to, like, sprinkle a little sustainability on top that's not actually doing anything worth screaming about, but they sure do get us by screaming about it.
0: I love how you, uh, in your book, you talk about those clothing recycling programs that some stores have and how Mm -hmm. they're basically just a way of getting you back in the store and then giving you a coupon to spend more money in the store.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, now I'm completely like just I I'm immune to like the siren sounds of fast fashion because I talk about it every day for a living and I read about every day um so now if I go into those stores I will dump like old crappy clothing that I don't know how to recycle onto some of those stores because let them deal with the problem and then I will get the coupon and I will give it to someone who is already standing in line because that Mm. person was gonna buy clothing whether or not I was there Might as well give them that discount.
1: Ooh, I love that. I do too. (laughs) I have definitely fallen uh, fallen for that one many times. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Okay, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid forties, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad; they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory.
2: Mm.
0: Okay, which is okay. I know.
1: bull on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, Oneskin, our sponsor today, knows all about. It started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. And please support our show and tell them we sent you.
0: All right, we are back, as I was saying at the beginning i I love how much your book is devoted to solutions, and i i also I love that you just point out that it's not enough for us to wait for government to take action, and they're never that, going
2: to yeah. never
0: right um and that it should not be on marginalized people to change the world so what are some ways that the average person? or the person with privilege can use, you, can use their voice and so, call brands to account.
2: You know, the first thing I, I say, there's always once again, another chicken and egg conundrum, right? Like, no, it shouldn't be on the individual. It should be on government. No, it should be on government. You know, the truth is we actually need all of these things. We need mm-hmm. all of the things because our legislators are not going to care about this topic if we're all just happily continuing to participate. Additionally, when we talk about lobbyists, these brands are in a lot of people's pockets. Like if they Mm -hmm. continue to have the same bottom line where they can control and have input on our democracy, nothing's going to change. Nothing is if we're all like, Oh, well not much I can do. We don't change anything. However, It shouldn't be on the person who has the smallest stake in the game to change the system, Mm. because they're not the person who's perpetuating it. People love to say that fast fashion exists because of poor people. That is patently untrue. People of all income levels buy fast fashion. And I know that from within my life cycle, like Northern Virginia, where I grew up, is actually super affluent. I grew up pretty lower middle class. And so you know, most of the people that I grew up with had way more disposable income than I'll ever have and way more privilege. But everybody was buying fast fashion. Everybody. And additionally, when we break down how wealth shakes out in the book, um, there's a lot of billionaires at the top of the system. When we talk about billionaire boogeyman, we continue to look at the same people. And don't get me wrong, go after Bezos. Like, get that guy, <laughs> let's tax him. Let's tax all of them. But nobody's looking at the top of the fast fashion systems because there's a hell of a lot of billionaires there as well. And it takes a lot of money to make a billionaire. When you break down the wealth of America, working poor and working class people account for 3% of America's total wealth. Hmm. A person who is working poor cannot buy 68 items of clothing a year. You know, so this idea that it's classist to critique this system is it's just a bullshit saying that people like to toss around the Internet to protect the system that they want to participate in. And I think it's time for people to recognize that's what you're doing if you're not a person who is, you know, economically disadvantaged. The person that has to choose between, like, keeping their lights on or buying the, like, shitty work trousers from the store that... They know it doesn't have the best wrap, but that's what they can afford. They're not the person buying 68 items a year. So like, yeah. let's let's all get our shit together and figure out who we are in this system. First of all, because I, I, I used to get this thing where like people I knew would be like, ah, I shop this way because I'm poor. And I'm like, no, you're broke. You're broke, <laughs> right. but you're not poor because being mm. poor is systemic and it's sucky. And I have known people who classify as poor and they don't go around going, "Ah, I'm poor. So I guess I can only buy like from Forever 21. I'll just buy a hundred dollars worth of clothing. That is not how poor people shop. Let's, 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 let's all come correct here. I find there's only two situations where people really, really want to be poor and in discussing these systems and who they impact. That's definitely one of them. I said two. I can't really think of another one because no one wants to be poor. It's hard. Yeah. You asked me about using your voice. Sorry. Yes. I just went, I went on us. <laughs> no, you didn't. I, 80-
1: well, it, it's so <laughs> as you're saying it, I'm like, Oh, this is, these are lines that I have fed out into the world. So I'm, I'm partially reflecting on my participation and, and trying to get a handle on then, like, well what now like how am i how do i actually really step up because i think the thing that you just that you just mentioned adds like a direct quote from my mouth uh, about um you know the this we uh what you were talking about earlier with the amazon or why why mm-hmm. people participate in fast fashion and
2: so i and, used to be that person too yeah. and here's the thing one year I added up all of my receipts from, mm. and I don't even know why I kept them. I wasn't that organized. They were just all around my room. <laughs> and what I figured out was that I had been living in my parents' basement and I had made what was technically like poverty wages, but like, let's be honest, not poor. You have a parent whose basement you can live in. Right. Like, mm. no, I do not have the economic situation I would like. We do not have a job market where I feel like I can sustain myself and buy a house, which is Bullshit, but I'm not poor. I'm, I get fed every day, whether or not I like the food, you know. So I was having these realizations myself. And like that year, I had made, you know, what qualifies as like poverty wages in Virginia. And I had added up my receipts for one such store. And I realized that I had spent like 10% of my salary, which was not much at that one store. And I was mad wow. with myself. Because I had given that to a billionaire when I, you know, can't move out of my parents' basement. And what I realized through all of that was actually I was shopping quite a lot. And Mm -hmm. additionally, I was looking at the better brand or the sustainable brand and going, I can't really afford that. But in Mm -hmm. actuality, maybe if I hadn't given X amount of money to this asshole over here and just bought like three or four dresses, I actually could totally afford that. I had to have that realization with myself and be honest with my consumption, mm. which is something that I think we're not really that honest with it because it feels uncomfortable to actually sort of acknowledge and face that very uncomfortable, yeah, we yeah. need that discomfort though because yeah. it's good yeah. it's good for us honestly yes. like i I needed that wake up call in the form of a slap in the face because after that, I really started to change my ways, and I was just like okay, I shouldn't I'm not going to go in this store anymore when I'm bored, when I'm Mm. sad, when I'm feeling emotional, when I'm feeling like my self-esteem is low. I'm going to avoid this store because I know what I'll do. I'll buy a dress even though I don't really need a dress. The dress just represents a better day for me. It represents a summer day where I don't have to go to this god-awful job I hate. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what the dress represents. But the dress isn't something I need and the dress doesn't actually get me there. It just puts me more in debt, which is something I definitely don't need. So I had to start unpacking my own feelings around spending and how I was participating in it. But I have to say, like, a few years out, I'm so grateful for that Mm. action. I really Mm. am. And also remember that, like, consumerism is so pernicious in our society, like from the minute we like slide out of the womb into this world it's basically like hey kid you're a consumer want a credit card and so unpicking all of that is really good for us because we're not really taught to question it as a matter of fact we're encouraged to participate in it one of the things that i talk about in the book after 9 11 how george w bush was like get out there and shop (laughs) yeah like Mm -hmm the world is grieving everyone's scared but yeah let's shop and the same thing happened over here with covid yeah. rishi sunak who is by the way very very wealthy i'm pretty sure his wife is a billionaire is basically talking about how citizens that have like any savings should go out and support the economy and i'm like how about you just get taxed at a higher tax rate rishi because my savings is for me like you you and your friends can float this economy but stop trying to tell people that like spending is something that they should do. It's patriotic. It's being a good citizen because all of the spending, it's actually not good for most of us.
0: Yeah, I I love. Um, well, first of all, when you're talking about sh- actually shopping, I also loved your suggestion to go shopping like dressed in clothes that you love
1: yeah
0: Mm. (laughs) because if you're wearing like clothes you hate you're more inclined to buy something to like make yourself feel better
2: yeah the 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 shitty work trousers that i talk about like we've all owned a pair we've had a horrible office shop and you buy these like polyester trousers and chances are they don't fit right in the hips so they give you star crotch and then like after work you're like oh i feel so crappy i hate this job i hate these trousers I know, I'll go and browse in the mall and buy stuff that I don't need. Yeah. I've been there. I've been that person.
0: Yeah. That's such a great, like, small change you can do that I I just, and I love the comparison of, like, don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Like, it's the same kind of psychological.
2: I I went to the store before I did this podcast and I hadn't eaten. I came home with a backpack full of crap and Steve was like, Right. It was one of those days, huh? I looked at it and I just realized I just bought crap. And it was just like, I've done it again, but that's, you know, yeah, we're humans. We flip human. up. We yep. make mistakes. Yeah. It's a very yep. human thing to do.
0: Um, I, I also really loved your you have some great sort of actionable suggestions for decreasing your own kind of personal demand. One of which is slow down and chill the fuck out with your wallets and credit cards.
2: Yeah. Um, unsubscribe. <laughs> That's the big one. Like you gotta, you gotta get them out of your social media. You gotta unsubscribe. You gotta unfollow, unfollow that influencer that always encourages you to buy stuff. I know you feel like you have like a real bond with this person, but you probably don't, especially if their platform yes. exists only to sell you things. You know, like subscribe to people that make you feel something more than like, let me get my credit card out and purchase this thing. You know, change those things because you will find a very big difference. I remember unsubscribing from all the emails and I was literally on all of them, like literally. And I remember thinking, like, feeling sad about it as I was Mm. unsubscribing, but then, like, thinking it's ridiculous. And then after, a few weeks feeling like I actually had peace of mind because my inbox wasn't just Mm. screaming at me sale. Bye 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 bye. You'll never get this price again. Oh my God, this dress that you don't even need is going to go away and you won't be able to buy it. I didn't miss that at all, but I thought that I would.
0: Yeah, I've had I've definitely had the feeling because now Gmail will sometimes be like you haven't opened an email from mm-hmm. such and such place in a while. Like, do you want to unsubscribe? And I've definitely had the thought of like, well, but what if I like miss a miss a sale? percent you know? sale?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's it. just like,
0: oh, that's just like such a bad. It's uh, such a it's bad true. way of thinking.
2: I just remember like having this moment where I was like, if I'm not shopping and consuming this way who will i be and when Mm. i think back upon it that was so sad such a sad moment and Mm. years out i'm just like god i'm so much happier i wish i had done that when i was like 23 like i wish that i had just been like no i don't want to participate in this but i had to go through this journey to be where i am today talking to people about it i guess
1: but I also think at the same time you are you're a lover of fashion, you're a stylist. Like you you still participate in fashion. And I think mm-hmm. that's such an important important point because you're not stepping away from the creativity of self-expression and design and texture and the love of clothing. It's just you're participating differently. And and was that a conscious
2: I, or I are you not?
1: Be,
2: I have to be more creative now actually. Okay. But I love that. Like I the amount of time I spend looking for the perfect product instead of the just because product, mm. it's a lot of time. But when you find the perfect dress, the perfect outfit, you are going to wear that outfit until it falls apart. Like we all go, oh, yeah, I wear my clothing until I, it falls apart. Not true. Like we're, we're not doing that because if we were doing that, then there would it be a rotting, burning trash mountain in Ghana somewhere. Um, so we say that we're doing that, but we're not. And I feel like when you put a lot of time and energy and work and you put a little bit more money into the things that you're buying, the attachment that you form to it and the care in which you treat it completely different, completely different experience. And so I, I spend time with my wardrobe now, like I will scrutinize Mm. whether or not to buy a dress for months. Months. And if it goes away that quickly, then it wasn't meant to be. But I can also tell you, like, the ma- the amount of clothing that our society produces, every piece of, like, designer clothing that I have bought secondhand, generally, it's always been something that I saw on the runway years ago. And we produce mm. so much clothing on such a big scale That it will always show up on the secondhand market. Yeah. You will never miss out on something, honestly. And that's what fast fashion tells you is that you got to go, you got to buy it because you're going to miss out on it. You will, they have produced too much to the point where if you just give it a little bit of time and you just go to eBay and type it in, it'll show up in your size because it always has. I have a blazer and this was actually like a runway blazer that I fell in love with and I wanted it when it first came to my radar and it was, um, Donna Karen, beautiful runway blazer, $2,000 full price, by the way, I found this blazer on eBay about five or six years later for like $90. (laughs) I got it. in a size eight, which I was at the time, a little bit small, but I could work with it. And I was like, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm not a size eight anymore. I'm way bigger now and I'm loving my body. So sometimes it's time to part with things that don't fit anymore. I ended up selling it to a personal shopping client who absolutely loved it. And then I was like, the circle of life continues. I yeah. said goodbye to it. Would you believe the same blazer popped up on another website in a size 14? <laughs> a couple months ago and wow. I staked it up. That is the abundance of clothing, even for like high-end fashion. And so you've been lied to with this whole scarcity idea that like, and that's what fast fashion runs off of. I talk about that in the book, how, and Lucy Siegel's book, she talks about how when Zara first opened in London, people weren't immediately sold on this system. And people will go to the store and go, that's nice. You know, maybe I'll come back next week if I, if I decide I want it. And the sales associates say, oh, well, we'll be here next week because Mm. we change our stocks so frequently. And that's a ploy to get you to buy faster. But additionally, yes, they do change their stock frequently, but they've probably produced a hundred thousand of that garment. So even if you don't see it at the store next week, you can definitely find them in the resale market in a couple yeah. of months.
0: Totally. That's such a good reminder. And. Before we let you go, I do just want to talk about one other thing that you raise in your book that is so important, I think, especially right now, when people are so consumed with this idea of cancel culture, but mm-hmm. you point out that asking for accountability is not the same as canceling. Um, no. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and and how we can hold brands accountable.
2: Yeah, I mean, so... I guess I can just talk about, like, real-life examples. Like, there is a brand that that made dungarees that I really liked. As a matter of fact, like, I'm wearing my old ones. I can barely fit into them today from the brand. Um, I was a big supporter of them, but I always thought, okay, you won't make, like, one item of clothing. Like, one. You can make that in a lot of sizes. Like... One of the biggest parts of my platform is pushing for size inclusivity Mm -hmm. because we cannot have a sustainable future where people go, everyone needs to jump on board with sustainability, but not you, fatty. But also, can you be more sustainable? Like, Mm -hmm. make up your mind. You either want everyone to participate or you don't. And so if a brand approaches me about working with me and I don't see sizes that are bigger than me, it's an automatic no for me. Like, even if it's just gifting, I don't want it. I don't want it if I, you know, ha- am going to put it on the grid and then someone bigger than me doesn't have access to it. That's mm-hmm. not an equitable fashion landscape that I'm working towards. And so this this brand in particular, you know, they had sort of been uh, talking about, you know, all the other aspects, but when pushed on size inclusivity, they they were just sort of not good about it at all. And basically, there ended up being a reckoning because they were like, we're going to do a podcast about social issues. We want to talk about fat phobia, except, hi, you've been fat phobic behind the scenes this whole time. Mm -hmm. And all I wanted was for them to just acknowledge that and to make plus sizes. Just do it like you don't need to make a podcast about a topic that you clearly don't understand, being that you are a participant in this topic. You don't need to be the voice of the social change if you are not actually being the social change. Just make bigger sizes. That's accountability. Like, if you're not going to make plus sizes, then you don't need to capture the zeitgeist of a moment of plus-size people asking you to just include them. Mm -hmm. That's kind of crappy. So at the end of the day, after much ridiculousness, they were like, yeah, you're right, we did do that. And since then I'm I I don't need to drag you if you're just coming correct but like come correct and say it with your whole chest otherwise get out of my face with that over oh, trying to be social justice crap it's crapola Yeah Yeah <sighs> uh, There's I- nothing wrong with asking a corporation to do better because a corporation isn't a human there might be humans behind it but at the yeah. end of the day a corporation's only job is to make a profit. Like, let's be real, and let's stop acting like these brands are people. And oh, you make the brand sad, brand cry. Like, <laughs> no, it's a corporation. I and love is,
1: that you make this point. It, this the, resonated with me so much because it. Got, I ref, I have really one sided relationships to brands, and I think we all do this where we've humanized them. They humanize
2: themselves on yes, social media, though. Yes. Like, we've, the, They've given us the tools and our brains have run with it. Right. But there is no big brand that I will ever defend. Like if you are messing up, then enjoy that internet ratio because you probably earned it. And at the yeah. end of the day, you're a corporation. You don't get to have feelings. I get to have feelings. I'm an individual. Um, But if I had a brand and I messed up and the internet was like, Yo, you're messing up. And I was like, la 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 la, I can't hear you. And then people got mad. Would I have any right to be like, Oh, you hurt my feelings? No, because my entire purpose is to like, make a profit. We can try and do good within corporations. But at the end of the day, let's remember that that's what corporations do, you know, so like, they have humanized themselves through social media and through things like clamping onto social movements at the right time. Never one yeah. to leave the social movement, right. but always want to jump in after the heavy lifting has been done. And so there's nothing wrong with asking a brand to do better. You know, we, we, and I think, you know, you don't have to be like a total asshat because there is somebody reading those comments, but I think you can stay true to what it is that you want and what you desire. And pushing for a better world. And I think that, you know, every person should join these conversations. And Ananya Bhattarjargi, who is from the Asia Floor Rage Alliance, who I interviewed for my book, did tell me the consumer voice has loads of power. Like Hmm. if enough of us, if a brand messes up and does something crappy, and enough of us say that on social media, eventually it does have to be talked about behind closed doors because the social media face is the brand's forward face. And so by just being like, Hey, it's not cool that you all did that. That's actually a powerful move. Like don't listen to the people that are like, Oh, you're just a keyboard warrior. You're not really doing anything. Cause those are the people that really aren't doing anything. They're just mad that you are. Mm. Uh, so be vocal, tell them when they're messing up because a brand that's worth its salt will be like, you're right. We did mess up. Thank you for telling us. That's actually like free advice. If your readership is telling you what you're messing up, they're telling you to fix your face. So why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to like, you know, actually do it right in a way where people feel like they can trust you, you know? Yeah. Uh,
0: This has been such an amazing conversation. I know. We don't don't want this to end. We (laughs) truly do not want this to end. Yeah, we don't want this to end. It's like evening time in london town so
2: we should let you go about your your evening um thank you for having me and to anyone listening you do have a lot of power like honestly just even if you're on social media do it to be a thorn in someone's side like in the Mm. in the words of maria bamford the the comedian i love her she's like you do it for no other reason do it for spite (laughs) I can relate to that, honestly. Yeah, why not?
0: Uh, Aja, where can people find you if they want to, you know, follow along your work and uh, yeah, support so you?
2: I don't have too many ads on Instagram because I can't be like, yo, y'all stop buying, but also buy this thing for me. So I have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Aja Barber where my work is supported and you can get a daily newsletter. But you can find me on Instagram. I post there pretty daily as well. It's Aja Barbara at Instagram. Um and if you want to buy my book, there is a link tree. My publicist is like, you gotta push the book more. I'm like, Okay, it's <laughs> on my <laughs> it's on my grid, you can find it. Um but yeah, I'm just hanging around about the internet. So come say hi. Just be cool and polite, that's all. Amazing.
0: Well, thank you again. It was so great to have you
2: on the show. Thank you for having me.
1: So, Dory, I I was in my bedroom with Anthony and I was like, you know, I think I might try to do something next year where I don't buy brand new clothes for the year.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was like, maybe like underwear and bathing suits, but like not, you know, I already have what I need. Mm -hmm. And he literally was like, good fucking luck. Because I (laughs) love accumulating things so much. Um, well,
0: (laughs) it's funny you mentioned that. Um, Really? Did you have the same thoughts? Well, did you see my intention for this week?
1: I did. Just setting you up a little softball here.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. Um, yeah. So I had a similar thought, although I, I am, I have to admit, I'm not as, I'm not trying to be as ambitious as you. I so inspired by Aja, I have been unsubscribing from all clothing emails, which is really fascinating to do. I will say, um, do you have that like worry, like,
1: I'm sorry. Go ahead. I no, I'm
0: you, like apologies. individually. I'm individually unsubscribing from each one, and so I'm like, oh well, okay. I guess I'm not going to know when. Farm Rio is on sale anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I do know what you
1: mean. It's weird. And you have this feeling of like, but what if I miss a 20% off email? Yes,
0: exactly. And I'm now I'm just like, okay, I guess I'll miss that. So mm. related to that, my intention for this week and for the rest of the year is I'm going to try to not buy any new clothes until the end of the year. Secondhand stuff still okay. But I'm going to try to not buy any new clothes. Well, let me modify
1: my previous statement and saying I have not committed to buying. No, I I have to really sit down and look at like what is realistic for me. But I do like the idea of secondhand only. Mm -hmm. Um, That feels more doable and also um, like a practice that, can become a lifelong practice. So I might totally. follow you. I might follow your lead on that. I think that's a great intention.
0: Thank you. I think I will still allow myself to buy, like you said, like underwear, socks, um, maybe like some athletic clothing. Although you can also, you can get some of that stuff secondhand. I don't want to buy secondhand underwear. I think that's okay to have that boundary
1: that's totally understandable i buy secondhand shoes all the time and people get so grossed out by that but i think that's like the best way i love a secondhand secondhand shoe
0: i've bought secondhand shoes it's like i I feel like sometimes shoes are tough because like if they don't fit you know it's like hard to know the exact fit and but a footprint's been pressed
1: into it already
0: I, I will say if, if it's like a sandal and I can see a footprint, I do not buy it. That That makes sense. I get that. That is a bridge too far for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, you know, I don't, I don't need the imprint of the previous owner on my my secondhand shoes. Although I have sold shoes that have my foot imprint. So, well, everybody has their, you know, their own limits when
1: it comes to the footprint in a shoe. Totally. Totally. Well, my intention uh, for the next week is to log off, Mm.
0: take a mental
1: break, and relax. And I will probably just, you know, hop off of the socials for a bit because, you know, the next few months are going to be intense for me as I gear up with promoting my upcoming fiction debut. And, I think I just need a, need a, a week of like, you know, trying to cut some of the external noise out before I
0: jump back in. Mm-hmm. I love this for you.
1: You know, I've done this one before. The success is, you know, changes every time, but I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to kind of just having a little bit of a mental break. So see how it goes. That sounds great. And, you know, we should let people know that we are, um, off next week. Yes. We will we be are. running old episodes because we are going to take the week to care for ourselves. Yep. So we will see you again very soon. Don't worry. We've okay. got still got one more episode this week that's live. That's true.
0: All right. Well, we should also remind everyone that Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dori Shafrir, and you, Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. And Sam Reed is our project manager.
2: Sam Reed is also the
0: best. And our network partner, Acast also the best. So
2: we will talk to you
0: all. We are so lucky. We'll talk to you all again very soon.